So off we go to her secret location. This is Dr. <laughs> Dr. Doreen Winning <laughs> from the Valley Veterinary Hospital here on KFGO. How are you doing? It has been so long since we've done this nighttime version. We did a real short Saturday one a couple of weeks ago, but it's great to have you back uh, on during the nighttime. Oh, thanks, Bob. I hope everybody had a great fourth and all those pets out there uh, didn't suffer too much from the noise and the thunderstorms and the fireworks that have been so prevalent this holiday season. The noise just never stopped. I mean, we had, what, uh, two, three days before the 4th, you had fireworks, and then right after the 4th was done, then you had all the, the thunder and lightning for three or four days. And then apparently the kids in my neighborhood, anyway, still hadn't shot up all their fireworks. They were still going off a couple of days ago. <laughs> I know. I had that same issue in my neighborhood. And, uh, of course, I wasn't in town when over the 4th of July, so my dogs kind of had a nice quiet reprieve. And then when I came back to town, bam, everything started going off and I had some shaken, shaken dogs for a while. So I can sympathize with those of you out there that really don't enjoy the 4th of July for that reason. Before we get to our questions, just a couple of basics I was going to ask you about. Uh, with this uh, coronavirus, the uh, the COVID-19, for lack of a better term, uh, well, that is the same term, I guess. But uh, <laughs> how, has it, how has it been affecting you and the veterinary business? Now, were you considered essential because everybody's got a pet? And have you always been open? And obviously, you're taking precautions when people bring their pets in, right? Right. So, yes, we are essential. Veterinary workers are essential. And so we've remained open throughout the pandemic. And, you know, it's pretty much business as usual, with the exception that we're noticing that there are a lot more pets that need to come in to be seen. And it's probably a manifestation of pet owners being home with their pets uh, during this pandemic. And we're also doing curbside right now with the aspiration that that will change soon and we'll be welcoming more and more uh, pet owners back into the clinic. So people were leaving their pets out, you know, right by the door and then went back to their cars and you came out and picked them up. Is that how that worked? Yeah. So what we do is we pick them up from the owner at the car and bring them into the clinic, examine them. And it's a cumbersome way of uh, performing a physical exam and communicating with the client at the same time because obviously you can't examine the pet and discuss conditions with the owner while you're looking at the pet. It has to be examine the pet, go to the phone, call the owner, come back to the pet with um, the okay, everything that the owner has okayed, Go back to the phone, let the owner know the results of whatever tests they've okayed, go back to the pet, do treatment. And so you can see it just takes a lot longer to get the same stuff done. It takes a longer period of time. So it really is cumbersome, but, you know, we're working through it and we're very thankful to have clients, pet owners that are very understanding. Okay, one more question, and then we're going to get to our, our questions uh, from the people here, from the listeners. But you also, also are a member on the board of the American Veterinary Medical Association. Did I get that right? Was I close? I am. <laughs> so I'm a board member of the North Dakota Veterinary Medical Association, and I'm a committee member 
for the American Veterinary Medical Association State Advocacy Committee. So it's a lot of words, but I'm on a couple of well, I was couple ge- of different. I was going to ask you from time to time. We do talk about that, but have you had regular meetings and uh, and where you had to use the quote unquote Zoom method or the Skype method or whatever? Or have they? You know, is that part of your uh, your operation as well that you have to uh, take care of? Yeah, I've gotten really accustomed to having Zoom meetings. Um, Go to meetings is another one that, um, depending on what organization I'm working with, uh, we use that. So there's, it's different because I'm a person that is used to hopping on a plane and going somewhere, going to a meeting somewhere, and probably at least every six weeks I'm off doing something of that nature and it's very very different it's very different to not be able to sit across the table from somebody and have a direct conversation with them so you know I think we're all adjusting to zoom meetings but um, for me it's been particularly hard that I can't just hop on an airplane and go meet with people face-to-face. Yeah, a lot of times you meet uh, you know, congressmen and then senators, too. You've gone to D.C., too. So I just had to get that mm-hmm. out of the way because I was just kind of curious because now that I know you know how to Zoom, when this all comes down somewhere down the line, you can teach me how to Zoom, okay? <laughs> Will do. <laughs> <laughs> all right, our phone number is here for the Vet is in. Dr. Doreen winning, 237 5948 1-800-880-5346. You can also, as I mentioned, text us at 35270, which is sponsored by 702 Communications, keeping you connected with high-speed Internet. Let's get to our first text message here. It says, we are looking into getting a dog, but between my wife and I, we are gone about nine hours during the day. Is kennel training and water when home a safe method? Seems uh, unfair, but a ton of people say they are doing it. I think that depending on the age of your selected pet, it can be a viable option. But I will have to say, even with my own pets who range from three to almost 13 years of age, I don't like them being in their kennel for more than four to five hours at a time. I want them to get out, go to the bathroom. Uh, get a little exercise, whether it's just, you know, two minutes of exercise, at least it's being able to get out of their cage and stretch their legs a little bit. So I think that's important. But, you know, I wouldn't let it stop me from getting a pet either. Certainly, if you have a very young pet, you're going to run into problems with, you know, having to go nine hours, you probably are going to need to have somebody swing by the house and let that little puppy out. 237-5948-1-800-880-5346. This one kind of relates to this, uh, Doc, and I, 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 I guess I know about these, but I don't know if I've had any friends of mine who ever had one of these. And a person says uh, basically the same thing. They're gone most of the day because of the uh, work-related and uh, the COVID uh, virus. But they said they were looking at the possibility of inserting a doggy door. Uh, do you know how much they cost? Is it worth it? And is it easy to train a pet to use one? I have friends. Um, most of the friends that have doggy doors are going to be in a little bit warmer climate. So it can be a challenge, I think, sometimes uh, in this northern climate with cold weather, you know, in December and 
January and February. So, yes, it can be done. Um, Cost-wise on dog doors, I don't know how much they cost, but you also have to think about installing them. And so that can be potentially an investment as well. Training a dog to use a doggy door, I don't think that's going to be too hard at all. Um, I think that once they figure out that they can freely go outside, they're going to probably really appreciate that. Now, I will say, again, I am not an advocate for letting pets be out in the backyard all day, every day. Um, I think they do need supervision. I think there are things that can happen in that backyard that we don't always have control over. And so the best place for your pet is probably going to be able uh, I'm going to say is going to be in the secure environment of the house, probably within a kennel situation. Yep. Probably in this type of atma- type of weather, like you mentioned, you'd almost have to buy maybe a, a, a second door in order to, you know, just put the other one up when the winter months come about, you know, and, uh, because they, like you said, it's going to get awfully cold. <laughs> so. Well, that, and, you know, I have a friend down in Tennessee. She just put a dog door in and trained her two dachshunds to go out there, but that doesn't mean that they don't still have an occasional accident in the house, too. So you have to be aware of that as well. It may not solve every single problem if there's a behavioral component that's um, contributing to inappropriate elimination. Can you see your poor dog, though, if you did put another door up there, to you know, during the winter months and you come running for the door to go outside and hit its head? <laughs> that would oh, be so sad. Yeah. That would be so sad. <laughs> and, uh, oh, here's somebody here who says that they have, a, they have a relative in Georgia and they have something called a cat flap, which I think is pretty much the same thing. It's just not really a door. It's just kind of a flap of uh, leather or something, right? Well, you know... That reminds me, Bob, you always read those stories, too, about raccoons or whatever getting into the house through the pet door. So, you know, I probably, I don't know if I would do it, but, you know, (laughs) I guess it depends on how how you feel about that kind of thing. (laughs) I hear you on that one. I hear you on that one. All right, we'll take our first break. Interesting story, uh, Dr. Winning. We had, I don't know if you are, and Derek Hansen are, are friends on Facebook or not, but he posted a story about his dog, Russell. And uh, apparently there was a, a problem where Russell was really having problems moving around. He couldn't stand up. He was, uh, you know, he was just lackadaisical. And, uh, and uh, they thought maybe at first, maybe it was Lyme disease or something, but uh, they brought him in to get some antibiotics and he's just kind of completely turned around. So, you know, don't give up on the pooch. You know, you just uh, turn around and uh, bring him to the vet and, you know, there may be an answer for you. Yeah. And you bring up a good point that, you know, we're seeing ticks and I just had a clinical case of Lyme disease this week. So, it's out there and people forget about it. People like me, it's hard sometimes to remember every month to put tick prevention on, or you might at this point in time think, oh, the ticks are kind of drying up for this season, but they're not. And we need to make sure that we have our tick prevention on throughout the summer months. And even if you're going into the Minnesota area, we see ticks during the winter there. So you have to be very aware of where your dog is going and making sure that they're having the appropriate prevention 
placed on them. This also kind of ties in a bit, too, when we talk about ticks, everything is kind of, a, you know, relates to each other. But a lot of people are, uh, you know, they're going out camping, and uh, there's a big change this year. I've seen in a lot of people, they're actually bringing their pets with now to go camping. Any tips we should know as far as uh, moving uh, Fido out of the house and letting him go camping with you in the tent or the camper? Well, yeah, you know, we've had a lot of clients come in, and, yeah, the family vacation is canceled, and many people are deciding to break out and go camping. So make sure the campground allows pets, first of all. You want to not have to arrive there and figure out uh, secondary accommodations for your dogs. Um, Pack food and water for your dogs is another good pointer. Don't let them drink out of streams and ponds. Uh, We have issues with Giardia in certain locations of the country, uh, which is a protozoal parasite that can cause diarrhea in dogs. Uh, Blue-green algae, we've talked about that before uh, in some of the area um, flus and, and such stagnant waters of North Dakota. So be careful about that. No drinking out of streams or ponds. Take your own water. I Even when I come out here to the farm, my dogs have, I bring their water with them. So bring a first aid kit. That's probably a big, huge pointer because you never know what's going to happen, what little cut, scrape, scratch, or worse can happen out there. Make sure you have a harness and leash. Um, keep your pets close. Keep them on a leash if you can, because if you're going into a very remote area for camping, your pet can come into contact with wild animals. And certainly we don't want to fight with a coon or a skunk or worse. So make sure you keep them close, keep them on a leash. Uh, Don't forget your medications for your pet, just like you wouldn't forget medications for you. You don't want to forget your pet's medications. Make sure you know when your heartworm prevention is due, when you're due to put that flea and tick prevention on, uh, and bring it with if they're due during that time. And finally, I also think it's wise to discuss the trip with your veterinarian. Maybe let them know where you're going. For example, I find this a lot when people are going south uh, for a vacation south trip down south, we might not think a lot of heartworm disease is here in North Dakota, though our pets should be on heartworm prevention. There are issues, serious, serious consequences if you don't have your pet on heartworm prevention and you're taking a trip down south. It's rampant. So make sure you know uh, where you're going, discuss it with your veterinarian, and what type of vaccines or preventative medications are needed for that area. Just while you were talking there, I just got off the phone with somebody who didn't want to go on, but they, they, they told me, they said, make sure if you go camping to check your harness or leash, if it's, if it's some kind of fabric. He says, because we didn't, we didn't check ours. It was frayed. He saw the first gopher and took off after it and just busted right out of his harness. So, you know, always have a fresh one, you know. I mean, you don't want to, you don't want to walk around with, you know, holes in your shirt. Why would you want to walk around with a frayed uh, halter for your dog, right? That's right. And I always carry extra leashes, too, in my car. There's always an extra leash or two in the glove box. And so I've never 
caught off guard, and I always have a backup available. Okay. Now, you have to forgive me because I kind of write like you doctors here, but I think this is Mary, if I'm not mistaken. Mary, is that you? Yes. Okay, great. I got it right. Mary, you're on with Dr. Doreen Winning of the Valley Veterinary Hospital here on KFGO. Hi. Um, question for you. I've got um, a, a mixed dog. Um, he's about, you know, up to your knee sort of thing, whatever. But um, whenever you go in the house, he's always nipping at you, you know, not to bite or anything like that, but at your clothes and yanking at your clothes or jumping up on you. I don't, do you have any suggestions as to what a person could do? I, the first thing I would do is I would crate train the dog first off. And um, so crate training so that you can always have the option of putting that dog, if guests are coming to the home and they're not comfortable with that kind of behavior while you're training and working on it, make sure it's crate trained. Number two, you can easily teach a dog to stop doing some of those behaviors by teaching him what to do. And so things like sit, stay, independence exercises, a lot of the jumping and, you know, nipping to try to get your attention is just that. They're trying to get attention. And so Mm -hmm. you might also want to consider ignoring the undesirable behavior because a lot of dogs feel like it's a big, huge reward when their owner even looks in their direction when they're doing those undesirable things. So crate training, basic obedience exercise, exercises, independence exercises, and ignore unwanted behavior. Those three things are key. Okay, sounds good. Thank in, you. In in our younger days, good we used luck. to in our younger days we used to roll <laughs> up a newspaper, but you can't find many of those around anymore. <laughs> Sorry about that. That was an unnecessary shot. I apologize. <laughs> Thank you, Mary. Thank you very much. This is the Mighty Seven Ninety KFGO and KFGO.com. Eight twenty eight is our time. We'll take a brief news break here in uh, just a couple of moments. Uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about something here too, and I, I know I bring this up because it's happening to you right now. But, you know, if you've, got some, if you've got a dog in the backyard and he's fenced in and your dog likes to dig, can you stop him from digging and going underneath and, and, and taking off? Well, that is a troublesome problem. And, again, supervision is going to be absolutely key in those kinds of circumstances. You just can't leave him alone. There are tricks that people have to try and deter that kind of behavior. Sometimes people put rocks. Sometimes people put other uh, more aversive type um, nails or whatever, which I don't recommend. Um, So you have to be careful about what you're doing. And I think that first and foremost, paying attention to your pet and knowing exactly where they are and what they're doing at all times is important. And I don't, I don't let my dogs out in my backyard without most of the time, honestly, I'm out with them. And it's just one of the things that I feel most comfortable with is knowing exactly where my pets are. Some, some dogs, by the way, it's, it's their nature to dig holes. That's right. Um, Digging. I'm finding that out tonight that Ryder just, (laughs) Doug got nice. He's halfway to China, but he came out with a gopher. So <laughs> we're, there's one less gopher in the world, it, unfortunately. But 
or in, fortunately. In a way, that's kind of good news, I, I guess. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, we're going to take another break and go to CBS News. And uh, when we come back, we'll uh, take some more phone calls, uh, look at some text messages. Here on The Vet Is In, Dr. Doreen Winning from the Valley Veterinary Hospital here on KFGO. Eighty-two degrees right now in Fargo, Moorhead. You're listening to the Mighty Seven Ninety KFGO and KFGO.com. Coast to Coast AM will be coming your way right after CBS News at the top of the hour. Right now, though, we're in the middle of the Vet Is In, our special nighttime edition here on KFGO. Man, I was—I forget the exact date right now, but we've been doing. You and I have been doing this show for a long time, Doctor Dreen Winning. It's been yes. I, has it been ten years, Bob? I don't know if it's, it's been, been quite that many, but I bet it's at, I bet it's at least eight. I bet it's at least eight, yeah. maybe nine. I've got the yeah. first I've got the first show taped someplace. I'll have to go look for it. I have to oh listen. Oh my gosh! Don't. I, have, I have to listen to that again, <laughs> and 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 you know. Maybe send it to you for Christmas. Who knows? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> our, our phone numbers are 237-5948. And we ask you not to be bashful. Just give us a call. We don't bite. 237-5948. Or you can also call toll-free if you're out of town, 1-800-880-5346. And you can also uh, text us, courtesy of 702 Communications, keeping you connected with high-speed internet by short-coding us at 35 35- Two seven zero. Call or text right now, and you will uh, you will get right in. It's been so so hot. Uh, you know, I heard rumor that the groomers have been doing a bang up business because a lot of folks are kind of uh, cutting their pets' hair down to uh, to uh, keep them a little bit cooler. Is that a good idea? You know, I think overall, yeah, it's not a bad idea. What we have to keep in mind, though, is for some pets, for some dogs that hair coat can keep the heat out as well. So take take it into consideration, but you don't have to. Always, always, always make sure that your pet has shade, a cool spot to lay, and plenty of water, clean, fresh water, especially during this heat. We know that pets, you know, if you're hot outside, your pet probably is too, and we need to make sure that you're not running into problems with heat stroke. Fat, fat face, flat face dogs <laughs> and cats most commonly can have problems with the warmer weather. They can't cool themselves as effectively as the longer nose breeds can. So if your pet is having heavy panting or salivation when it's outside, or heaven forbid, if it's staggering, weak, or just doesn't want to move, those are all signs that heat stroke could be coming on or is present. So for treatment, the first thing you're going to want to do is start the cooling process before you transport your pet. Think about cool, not cold water. And you can um, moisten the skin with that, moisten the skin and hair coat. Fans are good. You don't want to cool too rapidly, but start that process. And then get it to the veterinarian. And the key here is, you know, a heat stroke can cause organ damage if it gets bad enough. So prevention is key rather than waiting until your dog is 
you know, panting frantically and trying to cool himself down. Leave your pet at home if you can. Uh, don't be taking your dog out into the car to go to the grocery store, even if you think it's just going to be a real quick trip. It doesn't make sense. And if you're going to do walks, which everybody's home a little bit more and wanting to get out with their pet a little bit more, try to make it in the early morning or evening. And don't walk on hot pavement because you can occasionally have that pavement too hot for the pads of the feet. And it can definitely burn the pads if they're exposed to it too long. So be careful about that. Some pets just prefer to walk in the grass anyway. You know, I, I I almost said something, but I didn't. But it's like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It's like 90-some degrees. And this uh, woman is walking to... Uh, it's not a, the the real the German Shepherd we always think about, but it's one that's a, a very dark colored, but it, it's the shape of a German Shepherd. You probably know the breed I'm talking about. And there, she was walking both these dogs, and it's like 92 out at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And I wanted to pull over and say, you know, don't you think these dogs are, it's a little too warm for these dogs to walk, uh, you know, in, in, in heat like this? But, you know, I guess I guess I didn't, but, you know. I, I guess I kept, well, I kept my mouth shut, but should you open up and say, you know, your dog could get, could de- you know, we talk about politics between everybody, you know, nowadays. Why wouldn't we say, suggest somebody to, you know, take your dog back home and put him in a cool spot? Well, and I think that's what we're doing here, Bob, is we have an important role to play in educating people not to get into that position in the first place where somebody would feel like they need to confront them. And I myself have seen, there was one gal last summer running with her golden retriever. It was 97 degrees out. She's running down the road with her golden retriever tied to her waist. And I'm just thinking, why? Why? What is so important about getting that run in right at this time of day? It's just not worth it. You could end up killing your dog, not to mention what you're doing to to your own self, that's your choice, but your dog is kind of running along with you just, you know, doing what it's told. So try to stay home, keep the pet home during those hot hours of the day. This is a perfect time. You know, I I don't know what it's like in Fargo right now, but where I'm at, it's nice and cool. There's a, just a slight breeze and it's enough to keep the bugs at bay and it'd be a perfect evening for a walk. 82 degrees is what we have here right now off of my uh, thermometer okay. here. So Yeah, that's that's a little warmer. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I almost you know roll down the window and say, "Hey, you're 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 running your pet in 90 degree weather. Where's your fur coat?" You know, but no, I don't do that. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about pet poisoning. You wanted to bring that up a little bit. Yeah, I you know, I was reading an article today about uh, pet poisonings have been uh, on the rise more so during the pandemic than they have been previously. Call volume for these pet poison hotlines has been up as much as 43%, which I thought was astounding. And the reason that we're thinking that the poison control calls are increasing is because people are at home more with their pets right now. Pets are more active in the house with their owners. I mean, I think of when I'm home with my dogs, they're not in a kennel contained and out of trouble. 
they are meandering around the house doing kind of their own thing. And so when we're at home, we're seeing them running around the house. We're seeing them getting into things. And I also feel just from at my own practice that there are more people getting pets right now. We have seen just an explosion in new pets walking through the door. So more people have more pets. They're home with them. Young pets tend to explore with their mouths, eat things they shouldn't. And so therefore we get these calls coming in and we've had them a lot at our clinic as well. So when we get the calls, it can be hard for a pet owner to call into a clinic that's doing curbside care because the phone lines are tied up. People are calling from the parking lot and saying, I'm here for my appointment. And so it might be hard for that pet owner to get through when they have a certain situation that they think might be urgent. If this happens to you, pet poison hotlines are very valuable. You can call them and they can tell you if you should go in and, you know, just drive into your clinic, your vet clinic right now. Pet Poison Helpline is one of them, and Animal Poison Control Center is another. And from what these places are seeing, I was reading a rundown of what they're noticing pets or people calling for is the most common thing is human medication. We're home, we're taking medications, we might be counting pills out on the counter and something drops, the dog or the cat laps it up, um, and there's a problem there. And myself, I'm on blood pressure medications. I am very cautious. I've seen pets die quite easily from just a fraction of some of these pills that have been dropped. And so you have to be very, very, very careful when, when you're dispensing medications out of the bottle for yourself not to drop anything. So um, human medication, number one, food ingestions, number two, we're home. We might have been celebrating the 4th of July with the family, um, having a grill out or whatever. Food ingestions are a problem. You think of things like chocolate, grapes, raisins, these kinds of things that are troublesome this time of year. Um, And also I've seen a lot of dogs have problems with going and licking the grease from underneath the grill or getting into the grill cabinet and licking out the pants. So you've got to be thinking about that too. Um, By by the way, I used to have a black lab. I think I've told this story before, but I used to have a black lab and we came home from church one day and we were going to make hamburgers. And I said, didn't we buy buns? And, and we looked and yeah, we bought buns, we bought buns and I see the, the buns are up on the cupboard and this is a black lab and he's, I'm looking at him he's guilty, he looks as guilty as you know what, and he's going off and walking into his corner and I find just a little piece of the plastic bag laying on the floor. This dog not only ate the plastic bag, he ate a dozen hamburger buns as well. Mm. So they will get into he anything. He been in heaven. <laughs> It's amazing what they can get into. I mean, I've had that issue. I just had it a couple weeks ago where I had 
some bread. Actually, it was biscuits on my counter, and I had put them in a plastic bag. It was after a meal. Dahlia is very short, but she's very long, and when she stands on her back legs, she I don't know how she does it, but she can reach the middle of my counter. And so she got the biscuits up and all I had was a few shreds of plastic bag left. So <laughs> it's, you know, it happens to the best of us. You think you're, you know, I'm always saying, I'm always watching my dogs. Well, it happens in the blink of an eye. Uh, so but, I get that. By the way, uh, for, for some of us, some of you who I, I should say, who may be listening to the vet is in for the very first time. This is Dr. Doreen Wending from the Valley Veterinary Hospital. And she has three long haired uh, dachshunds. And uh, when we talk about Dahlia and Ryder, those are those are the the, the three. And uh, and uh, why Doobie is that? Uh, yeah, that's the other one, right? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, Doobie, Dahlia, and Ryder. So, yep. <laughs> so when we talk about, we're talking about dachshunds there. So it's for those of you who may not know, uh, then, you know, you brought up one thing about human medication, though, and this is just something on my part that I've always noticed, and I, we've talked about this before too. But when you have a pill that the dog is supposed to take that you and any other vet, you know, prescribed and you try to mix it up in his food or, or anything, they eat everything but the pill. But if you drop one of your human pills on the floor, they somehow decide to digest that one. What, what kind of sense does that make? You know, you bring up a very good point because I think a lot of this is it can be a game with them. They think, oh, if my owner's eating it, it must be good. You know, past experience, right? You know, that hamburger was sure. real tasty compared to my dog food kibble. <laughs> so, you know, they're going to lap it up before you can even think about it. And so a lot of times when I'm giving my own dog pet, my own dogs, their pills, I will act like it is you know, the best thing on earth. And, you know, I might have some human food in one hand and the dog food in the other. And hopefully I can trick them, you know, they're hounds. So everything gets shoveled in. Eat first, think later is how they operate. And so um, it works, you know, you can play those little games with them. and, And oftentimes it does work. If they think it's a treat, chances are it is. Well, we have one more break to take here. Then when we come back, we're going to talk about rabbit, rabbit hemangiomic, hemangiomic disease. See, <laughs> I, I wasn't going to get it. You knew I wasn't going to get it. Uh, we'll be back with Doreen Wedding, Dr. Doreen Wedding for the Valley Veterinary Hospital in just a moment. The vet is in. You've got about uh, 12 more minutes to give us a call here at 237-5948-1-800-880-5346. Or you can text us at 35270. And that's sponsored by 702 Communications, keeping you connected with high-speed internet. The vet is in, Dr. Doreen Wedding from the Valley Veterinary Hospital here on KFGO. Actually, I don't know if you saw that on Facebook, but I put the vet is in and in parentheses, I mean on the phone. Uh, But anyway, she's on the phone with us right now, and we're talking about your pets, your cats, your snakes, your dogs, uh, you name it. She's ready to talk about it. 237-5948-1-800-880-5346. Or you can also, of course, uh, text us at 35270. That's 35270. Two seven zero, Doctor Winning. Before we stray away from pet poisonings, there was another uh, item that you wanted to bring up, correct? Yeah, 
There have been calls into these pet poison hotlines about using cleaning products on pets. And we need to remember that though it's honorable to want to take care of your pet and try to, you know, keep them clean, disinfectants, household disinfectants and alcohol are not to be used on our pets to try to, quote, disinfect them. The only thing we should be using on our pets is a pet shampoo and water. So if you uh, have something or have an idea that you want to clean your pet and have concerns about coronavirus, whatever it is, soap and water kills coronavirus. And so it's a fairly easy virus to destroy in the environment. Don't be putting alcohol or cleaning products, household cleaning products on your pet. If you have other things that you question, something that's labeled for your pet that you want to try, ask your veterinarian. Uh, That's what they're there for. And they can help you, guide you in that. I have one question concerning that. And uh, I just know from the earlier days, and I I I haven't had a dog for a long time, but I know in the earlier days uh, when I was a youngster and we had uh, dogs that uh, mom and dad, every once in a while, if they got a small cut for some reason or another, would use hydrogen peroxide. What do you think? You know, I'm not that huge of a fan about hydrogen peroxide. I, although accelerated hydrogen peroxide for surfaces makes, and I'm talking accelerated hydrogen peroxide, not just regular store-bought hydrogen peroxide from the bottle. Uh, makes a nice disinfectant. But as far as the regular H2O2 hydrogen peroxide that we buy at the drugstore, you know, I'm not that big of a fan for using it to clean out wounds or, you know, anything like that, particularly because I've had people try to put it in their dog's ears, which will make some dogs go berserk. And I've had people put it in deep tissue wounds And that stings and prickles, and it's not pleasant for the dog. So if if you've got a wound that you want to clean out, again, a mild soap and water is perfectly fine. If there's any question, you need to be talking to a veterinarian because tissues and living tissues on an animal are not to be um, just disinfected routinely um, and without any regard. Have you ever tried have you ever tried putting hydrogen peroxide in your ears? My parents used to do that when we had ear infections as kids. But we had And so I can I'm sorry. I can see where people would get that idea, you know, that they'd want to clean their dog's ears out with hydrogen peroxide, but it just is it's not a good idea. But it (laughs) you, you get this bubbling in your ear from it and I imagine that's what drives the dog's crazy because it drove me crazy to have all that in my ear. You know, you hear this bubbling in there. You thought you were having a, 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 a volcano erupt or something, you know? Right. So. Right. And they don't understand that. And, you know, honestly, if you're looking to get debris, you know, waxy debris out of your dog's ears, there are much better products than hydrogen peroxide and your vet has access to them and can get them for you. So one of the products that we use a lot in clinic that's very gentle and fabulous at getting earwax out of dog's ears is Ceramine. And we use it all the time. It's kind of a greasy 
type um, of cleaning, ear, clean, ear cleanser, but it really does a nice job. And it's very gentle and very safe for the ears. So stuff like that is what we should be thinking about instead of what you can reach for from your own shelf that you would use. Okay, now I know a lot of people out there right now are going to say, are saying to, you know, Bob Harris, try to say that word again for her. (laughs) (laughs) Hemorrhagic. Rabbit hemorrhagic disease. Okay, there we go. Uh, That is what? So rabbit hemorrhagic disease is what we're talking about. And that is a highly contagious viral disease that causes sudden death in rabbits and they call it viral hemorrhagic disease because oftentimes these rabbits are found dead with a bloody discharge coming from their nose. And it's mostly been a problem in Europe, but we're finding it to be more of a concern now lately in the United States. There has been evidence of it causing sudden death in both wild and domesticated or pet rabbits. And this spring, it had been noted in Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, California, and Colorado. Those are the ones, those are the states that I know of. And uh, this, we're concerned about it entering into the wild rabbit populations, and certainly it can kill pet rabbits as well. So we have to be careful about that. And I just wanted to bring that up because people might start reading about that in the news. And it's out there, and yes, it's a concern, and veterinarians who uh, are treating rabbits on a regular basis have this in the back of our mind that we need to be watching out for it. It's nothing to panic about. There is a a vaccine that is readily available in Europe. It's not available in the U.S. routinely at this point. And so um, just an FYI out there, again, nothing to panic about, but it's on the radar. By the way, rabbits are going crazy this year. I've never seen so many in my backyard. Yeah, it's it's a good rabbit year, and hopefully we don't have any catastrophic diseases uh, decimating the rabbit population, though I know some people would probably prefer <laughs> not having rabbits in their yard, but we want it to be the right way, not the wrong way. So. Okay, we have just a couple of minutes left here, but I, again, I took another phone call off the air. I didn't want to go on the air. But they said they were new in town, and if they're going to decide on a vet, what type of information do you need if you have a new pet that you want to get their first checkup at the veterinary, at the vet? Yeah, so we're going to need to know, obviously, the species. And, you know, a lot of clinics have certain species that they will see, whether it's just dogs and cats or if it's snakes, rabbits, exotic pets, pocket pets, that kind of thing. And we're going to want to absolutely have your pet's medical records. And one thing that we've talked about at Valley Vet is, you know, oftentimes owners will say, oh, I'll bring the records. And then we get the records and it might be some receipts that they've saved. And so I just want to emphasize it's important for your new veterinarian to have the full medical record Ideally, in advance, that's so helpful because before the appointment, not during the appointment, we can go ahead and look at the record and be prepared for anything that has been in your pet's recent past that we might need to be 
watching out for at this visit. So important stuff, those medical records, and get them transferred over as quickly as you can. I'm just going to drop in one note from a personal standpoint because we take a lot of phone calls for our KFGO Pet Patrol where people have lost their dogs. And when next time you visit your veterinarian, uh, think about it if you haven't already, getting it microchipped. Because I've answered phone calls, Doc, from so many people who are crying because they cannot find their pet. I said, did you get it microchipped? They said no. And that was the first thing out of their mouths that they said that they were going to get it done as soon as they get, uh, you know, fluffy or rover back. So microchip is a great, great thing to do if, and, and ask, talk to your vet about it and get it, get it done. I, I highly recommend it from the standpoint of taking a lot of phone calls. 20 seconds. Let's have your address and your phone number. We're at 3210 Main Avenue in Fargo. Our phone number is 232-3391, and we're online at valleyveterinary.net. Dr. Doreen Winning, thank you so much for joining us tonight here on KFGO Fargo. She'll be back soon, and it takes two. It's 9 o'clock on KFGO.